Hello, hello. So welcome back to another wholesome episode today about nature versus nurture and how that really links in with learning disabilities. And I know it's not going to be the most, you know, popular opinion, but I try my best to make it as well-rounded as I can. And so it's going to revolve around a story between me and a student I was helping. I think I explain it pretty much in the actual episode. So without further ado, Let's just jump straight into it. Hey everyone, welcome back. So recently I was working at a high school as a teaching aide. And this school, just for context, uh, is an alternative school, what they call an alternative school, where it's very tight-knit. There's around about 30 students overall, and there's a huge well-being emphasis because a lot of the students who come into these schools have, say, um, high anxiety or social anxiety, or I'm just really <laughs> talking about anxiety probably because <laughs> looking at myself, yes, I'm guilty, uh, but things like mental illness and a lot of the time they will get support from support workers or from youth workers So these students really, really do thrive in more nurturing environments instead of the traditional schools where generally in traditional schools they're bigger, they focus more on academics. So that's a very simple, simplified uh, description of alternative versus traditional in Melbourne at least. But anyway, so I was helping this student in particular, 16 years old, and we were doing basic maths. And already maths is <laughs> the the most uh, common subject where students just flat out refuse to do it. I've had a lot of students who just go, no, nah, I'm, I'm not going to do it. And if I say, for example, I'm trying to remember students I've helped, uh, I say, okay, let's figure it out without a calculator. Just, you know, basic addition, basic subtraction, multiplication. They will flat out refuse and say, no, I can't do it. I hate it. Um, you can't make me. (laughs) So of course I can't make them. So we just stop. But this student was, you know, willing, willing to do it, but obviously still had a bit of resistance. And at the start of the lesson, the teacher was basically to me, yeah, can you help this student? Uh, If if you can do, say, half a page of the workbook, that is a huge achievement. In my head, I'm going, oh, it doesn't seem like a huge achievement. I mean, can't, students go through it? Is it that your expectations of her are a bit low? Because I, at least from my experience, the more faith, or I'm not saying that this teacher didn't have faith because he was a great teacher, he's still alive. So he is a great teacher and he's super supportive. So that comment really threw me off because I was like, well, isn't this assuming that the student can't do it? So that's already ticking away in my head. But for my purposes, I was just helping the student. Sure, she had a lot of resistance. We were at the time doing 24-hour time. So uh, simple ad- addition, adding from 12 and going to like 16.04, so 4 p.m., 4.04 p.m. And she was starting to get it. At first, she was just like, oh, I, I don't understand numbers. And I'm like, that's fine. Let's just go through it slowly. Got through it slowly. And she began calculating. And by the end of the day, we did two sessions of maths. By the end of the day, we had done ratios. <laughs> ratios. 
multiplication. Uh, so what I like to do is this thing has saved me throughout my whole life is just doing ratios and comparing things like cost. And the example that I gave her, because I, I tried to personalize it to her and she said that she buys the groceries for the family. And I was thinking, okay, well, a relevant example for this student is to say, okay, if we're comparing different products and say one product is 350 mil and this price, and the other one is 700 mil and this price, which one is actually cheaper? Because maybe it's the smaller item is cheaper, objectively, say it's $3 versus the big item, which is $8. But if we're comparing how much money you get or how much value it is per 100 mil, how much money would you actually, would you be saving money in, in that case? So I was giving her that example and that requires a lot of fundamental maths and a lot of multiplication, a lot of even algebra, because at the end you're trying to find out that X value. Okay, so I actually thought, why not just do a live demonstration of how I would figure it out? because this is essentially what I taught the student. And if you're genuinely interested how you can calculate it, then this is how I do it and it seems to work. So over here, I've just got the smaller item and it's 350 mil for $3. And then this one, 700 mil, it's a bigger product for $8. And so it's usually not as obvious as this, but I thought I'd just keep what I said before. So I would do it like a ratio and this has worked for I think my friend taught me this and oh my god it's a godsend so let's do it 350 mil and I do a ratio so that is 350 mil is three dollars but say if I want to calculate okay well how much would I get for 700 mil I would then do 700 mil so keeping the mils above or underneath each other and I would say, well, I don't know this price, so I'm just going to call it X dollars, and this is $3. So I want to calculate what that is. This is using algebra because I want to find out this thing, not to get too aggressive. Okay, so then I would go, okay, well, I would cross multiply. Don't ask me why. <laughs> it just works. So I guess I'm not the best maths teacher. But anyway, so 350 mil times X equals... 700, oh yeah, yeah, so it's cross multiplying there, 700 times 3, 350x equals, uh, bear with me, 2100, and then x would be 2100 divided by 350, which, hold on one sec, ah, well isn't that perfect, look at this, 6, okay, so, this would be X dollars would be six dollars, which just basically is a way of saying that if I were to use this price for this product, if it was 700 mils, it would be six dollars, which means yes, you'd want to go with this one because it's cheaper even with that value. And you could totally do it for this one and see how much it would be for 350 mil. Uh, and I hope that's clarified it. If it's confused you more, then I'm so sorry. I'm, you know, at the end, I just said, look what you've achieved. Like, this is great. At the start, you were sort of shaky, but, you know, just working one-on-one, -on -one, this works. And in, at lunchtime, actually, so I walk into the staff room 
and the teachers ask me, you know, how was your day? What have you been up to? I say, oh, I was helping this student, said the student's name. They were like, oh, how was that? And I'm like, yeah, it was great. You know, we did maths. We uh, did, you know, ratios and we, we talked about all this and we, we, we didn't even just, you know, complete that half a page. We went well and beyond, finished the page and then we also did extra. So ratios and algebra was extra and she managed to do it. And the teachers just looked at me like, what the, f- what the shit? What the, I can swear on my podcast. What the fuck? And I was just like, what, what's going on? I thought it was, you know, she had a resistance to maths. She obviously doesn't have that much confidence towards it. And the teachers just said, you know that she has dyscalcul... Oh, God, I think I'm butchering that term, actually. Dyscalculia. You know she has dyscalculia, don't you? And I said, what? <laughs> what is that? Please explain. And... And they said, oh, it's like the dyslexia for maths. Like the, the idea of conceptualizing numbers is really foreign and it just doesn't make sense, right? And it's a very natural, genetical, did I just say genetical? Genetic thing. I swear I did science in, <laughs> in the past. So it's a genetic thing, much like ADHD, much like other, you know, say learning disabilities like dyslexia. So after hearing that, I just went, but she did algebra and she did ratios. So what's going on? Is she incapable of doing maths? Well, I mean, she she was doing fine and I couldn't really see much difference between her and other students that I've helped who weren't diagnosed or classified as being, um, as having dyscalculia or anything similar. So then that got me thinking, okay, what's going on here? And the idea of nature versus nurture started popping up. And that is <laughs> a long-winded story to get to this theme, today's episode's theme, nature versus nurture, about the fact, are we born with a certain level of intelligence? Or are we, in this situation, are we born with a learning disability? Or is it developed over time, developed through our experiences, not even about how we're raised necessarily, but about how we interact with school, about how we interact with others, and how that creates an idea of who we are. And I was trying to link that back to the student. Sure, this student has some resistance towards maths, and potentially, yes, there is a level of dyscalculia, but the extent to which that should impact their ability to learn maths, I'm quite you know, skeptical whether it's completely nature in this situation, because nature is referring to your genetics or your biology. So yes, appreciating the fact that this student will have just a natural resistance towards maths, but how much also is that caused by teachers going, oh, this t- this student has dyscalculia, let's treat it, you know, um, let's be easy on her, or let's not even being easy, because yes, If being easy means being kind to the student and understanding, then that is fine. But what I'm talking mainly is just by understanding that this student has dyscalculia, that will affect your actions of how you treat this student versus other students who don't have dyscalculia. So the student who has dyscalculia is thinking, I have a natural inherent biological thing that is preventing me from doing maths, so I won't even try. 
And this student has not tried. And she said to me after the session, she said, this is as much maths in this session, just one hour or two. This is more maths I've done now than I have the past year. And again, this doesn't mean that she's incapable of doing maths. It's just that she had such a big resistance to do it for this whole past year, yet she managed to do it within two sessions. And this isn't me trying to toot my own horn being like, oh, Joe, you're amazing. You're helping. No, no. It's more that if we can have a one-on-one support with the student or like I had no idea she had dyscalculia. And that's the main thing that I want to stress is that because I had no preconception of who she was, I had literally no idea coming in what her background was, what her history was. All my assumptions were was that, yeah, she needs help in maths. And I think just by that inherent behavior towards her that I knew she was capable and I knew she had the potential to reach, you know, doing this maths and doing ratios in algebra, I think that gave her the confidence to know that, yeah, actually I am capable. And that's overridden her diagnosis of dyscalculia in some way. And I think to the fact because um, Ken Robinson has talked about ADHD. And of course, he's not invalidating ADHD. ADHD is real. But in what way is that nurture versus nature? In what way is are you born with it for nature? Or is it amplified through the environment that you're in? So his take with ADHD is that, sure, if you're keeping a kid sat, like sat in a chair for majority of the six hours of the day that they're at school, majority of the time, apart from, say, PE, physical education, uh, break, so recess and lunch, apart from those times, they are well and truly sat in a chair. And so students who have a visceral, you know, they want to, they get distracted, they they just want to run out and want to break out of that very uh, sedentary lifestyle, He says that is totally valid. That's what students or that's what kids are meant to do, to move. If you sit kids down hour after hour doing low-grade clerical work, (laughs) don't be surprised if they start to fidget, you know. (laughs) Children are not, for the most part, suffering from a psychological condition. They're suffering from childhood, (laughs) you know. Also, in my experience, going to schools and seeing how long students sit down, even I get, you know, I need a mover. <laughs> I stand up, I walk around, I, I walk around some more, go to these students, use them as an excuse to just get more steps in. But I just think, wow, okay, they are pretty sedentary. And is ADHD caused by the fact also that they're just stuck in this environment and they can't move? So a lot of this learning disability stuff, I'm just questioning right now whether it's really, you know, whether it's actually the fact that they cannot do it, the fact that it's completely genetic, and the fact that there is some influence in the environment, because there is always influence in the environment. And here's a disclaimer, though I think I've already mentioned it, just in case, if I haven't been clear enough, uh, mainly so I don't get roasted. I'm not saying that it's you can just overcome it like it's all in your head and that you can just overcome this genetic thing i'm definitely not saying that because there is a huge natural or a genetic part of this that i i can't just say that it's irrelevant 
But I am saying that the environmental aspect or the nurturing aspect is more powerful than we think. So now that that's clarified, let's jump back into the episode. And I realized that I totally just skipped over the history of nature versus nurture because I actually wrote down in my planning that I wanted to talk about it, but I got so absorbed in the uh, story of this student that now I completely got distracted. But okay, let me just give a little 101 on nature versus nurture because it is pretty interesting. So philosophers way back, I don't think there were, you know, well, there are scientists of their age, but also philosophers had an equal part in talking about theories about human behavior. And so Hippocrates said that human behavior is biological, that it's our genetics. It's not even like DNA wasn't a thing back then, but they said in around 400 BC, Hippocrates said that human behavior is biological composed of four different body fluids called humors. So these humors, uh, they characterize it into yellow bile, blood, back bile, back bile, that's a funny one, black bile, and phlegm. Phlegm I'm very used to, especially in winter. So humors. These four fluids are composing our body, and it's through these four humors that will dictate what sort of behavior we'll have, whether, you know, we're... And by the way, this is talking about learning disabilities in this episode, but nature versus nurture extends to things like whether you're athletic, whether you're intelligent, quote-unquote, intelligent or smart, uh, or whether you're a people person, or whether you are a very clean person. You know, all of that, It's that has to do all with your biology. But then, centuries later, there were philosophers called, and I'm going to butcher this because it sounds very French, Jean, <laughs> I'll just do it, Jean-Jacques Rousseau. That's my take on French. And John Locke. So these philosophers thought that people and their behaviors blank slates. When you're born, you are completely susceptible to your environment. Completely susceptible to how people treat you, about your living conditions, about the fact whether you're surrounded by this person versus that person. All of that determines who you are and your behavior in the future. And these were quite, you know, black and white. It was, you're either, it's either biological or it's either uh, environmental. But later on, scientists, especially now, have been like, I think... Oh, as the wise, you know, as the wise little girl once said. So yes, as the as the little girl says, the little wise girl says, why don't we have both? Why don't we combine biology with the environment? Because nothing is ever, you know, completely one or the other. We have a mix and we have a combination of everything. And so that's what we're seeing now is that sure, there is an impact of biology, but there is also a huge impact on environment. And if you're interested in this concept of intelligence and how that mixes between whether we're born with it or whether it's environmental, I would really suggest looking at Mindset by Carol Dweck, which I have, I swear I should be sponsored by Carol Dweck because I have mentioned her book so many times. But her philosophy or her theory is that it's mainly environmental 
is that, yes, we are born with a certain level of genetic quality of how we, whether we're more critical thinkers, whether we're more um, communicative or whatever it is, like, sure, we do have some genetics to, you know, amplify that. But then how we perceive ourselves in the future, whether we think we're smart or whether we're dumb, uh, all comes down to the fact of our growth mindset or our fixed mindset, whether we're aware that we can change. So whether we're aware that the environment actually impacts us more than our genetics. That's her theory. I won't go into it because I have dedicated many episodes to it. So you can check those out. So it was basically at this moment that I had a very brief blip in my brain, but I got there eventually. And now on to the last part of our episode. So I definitely had around six thoughts all at once. And that obviously is too much for my two brain cells. So (laughs) I needed to slow down. But one of the other things I wanted to talk about was my housemate, says, you know, she, she's been diagnosed with mild forms of dyslexia. And I was telling her this story of me helping the student, how much is nature versus nurture? And she genuinely thinks that for her, she has dyslexia. It's not as severe as other students or other students that she, you know, on, on the spectrum of dyslexia. But she said, if the teachers hadn't treated her like she was capable of doing, you know, doing uh, reading, writing, And just giving it a go and trying it out, so what if you have dyslexia in the end? Like, I bet they were more compassionate than that. But so what? Just try it out. Try your best. Let's do it. I have faith that you can actually achieve more than you think you can. And she says that if she didn't have that upbringing, her reading and writing would be a lot poorer if she didn't have that support. And coming from her perspective was just really fascinating because she was grateful that teachers placed more expectation on her to really question whether the dyslexia defined her or whether she was able to override some of it and be able to tap into that nurturing side, to tap into that environment side and be more in control of how, you know, learning disabilities affect you. Of course, that is easier said than done because again a lot of students have more severe forms of learning disabilities but for those students in particular who are either misdiagnosed or who have lesser severe forms of um, a learning disability to really tap into that nurturing side and see where that takes us and these Again, I it's a hot topic. I wonder if I'm going to get roasted for this. Probably, you know, and, and we'll have a great chat about it. But that's my take on it. I think there's a lot to do with nature. Nur- I meant nurture. I will stop talking because there is a lot, you know, that I'm just rambling now. Okay, okay. I will see you next week. Bye.